They're, they were kind of, they, they, they emailed me from I am dot org. I am that I am. I am dot org. And they didn't sign their name, of course. They're always so cowardly, they hardly ever sign their names to these. Uh, well, we got, a, we got somebody who was mad at us that sent us an email. The subject was Zionist booklet found re recently. Zionist booklet found recently. So I guarantee you. This is the Zionist booklet that they found recently that had our address and our email on here. This is the Love the Jewish People. This is the booklet that tells you the truth about God's feeling about the land of Israel. It tells you the truth about the Jew. It tells you the truth that that land belongs to the Jew. It doesn't belong to the Muslim. It doesn't belong to the Christian. It doesn't belong to the Catholic Church. It doesn't belong to the Southern Baptist Convention. It doesn't belong to the United States. It belongs to the Jew. God gave it to the Jew, that's where the Jew's going to be, and that's where God's going to come back through Jesus Christ and rule and reign for a thousand years. And this booklet tells you all of that. Well, they don't like that, that we, we're giving out the Zionist. A Zionist is just the idea that, the, that that state of Israel belongs on the land of Israel. That's what a Zionist is. And this is what they wrote, is please stop distributing misinformation to urge Christians into Zionism mindset and this further ushering in of Armageddon by way of supporting war crimes with more war crimes. Uh, I think Israel was peacefully sitting over there, and they started raping and killing them and shooting them. Now, that's just how I've seen it, but this is how they're... Uh, and then this is what <laughs> These people, man, they're just something else. I tell you what, they're too cowardly to say it to your face. We live in a society of cowards and yellow belly, uh, sorry, no good dogs... They can't say it to your face. They're going to get behind a computer and type it in and hit sin. And they've really done something. All they've done is made me laugh is what they've done. Also, King James was an infamous homosexual and non-believer who only released Bibles in his own name to avoid being overthrown. That shows you the stupidity and the, and the, the lack of history they know. This... This, we call this a King James Bible, but it's, also, it's honestly, it's called an authorized version. It only is called King James because they honored him because he's the one that called out the assembly to translate it. King James did not touch this Bible. He had nothing to do with this Bible. All he did is, he's, he, they come to him, the Puritans came to him and said, we want a Bible that's not been, that's, they're not messing with, they're not putting notes in. We need, it, we need the Bible, that they had, which the Geneva Bible had, had a bunch of notes in there. We just want the pure, God's pure word in the English-speaking language. So he, he got together his committee, and they got 70 of them together, and they translated this Bible. The, all the known Greek scholars, Bible scholars, he just, as the king, he gave a decree that it should be done. He did not touch this Bible. But he, the, it doesn't matter if he was a homosexual or not. And he wasn't a homosexual, by the way. Now, coming in May, I'm having one of the leading scholars of the King James, of, of King James translators and the King James Bible, uh, Lawrence Vance. Dr. Lawrence Vance. Dr. Vance, I'm having him come in. He's going to be presenting a seminar in, in May. I have him coming in in May. He's going to be presenting a seminar. He's going to talk about the King James Bible. He's going to talk about its translators. He's going to have a PowerPoint. He's going to have material here. Uh, he's the leading scholar. Well, this church is probably going to be full when I get out the news that he's going to be coming in. And he'll tell you all about that. But this is, shows you the ignorance of these people. They don't, they, they don't like this booklet, so they're going to attack King James. What, what does he have to do with anything? 
Hence why those, listen to this, hence why those parts about corrupt kings and leaders of men were tossed out of the good book. What parts were tossed out of the good book? If you read this book, it's nothing but about bad kings and bad leaders. It's all through here. I just talked about that in Sunday school. It's like, these people are absolutely cuckoo. Just cuckoo, cuckoo. Somebody's been eating too much cuckoo puffs, cocoa puffs. I would recommend going back to the Septuagint. Oh, my goodness gracious. I'd recommend going back to the Septuagint or biblical scholar texts. The Septuagint is a made-up, make-believe Bible. Supposedly, it's translated into the Greek. It's all manuscript evidence. I'm here to tell you, y'all don't need to know any of this nonsense. Just because it is nonsense. But if you want to, look it up, study it yourself. And he says here, or she, I don't know, they don't say here. Maybe they're non-binary, I don't know. I don't want to offend anybody on purpose, right? Or even, this says, go to the biblical scholarship, or even back to seminary school for that matter. Semi go back to seminary school. Seminary school, you know what it, seminary school is going to teach you? It's going to teach you anti-Zionism. They're going to teach you against what I preach out of the Word of God. You go to higher pain, you go to any of these seminary schools, they're going to teach against Zionism. I'm, not a, I'm a Zionist because I didn't go to seminary. This is how much they know about anything. Okay, I'm getting all stirred up. I'm trying not to get stirred, trying not to get stirred. God is all loving and all forgiving. God is all loving and all forgiving. Is God all loving? An all loving God is a perverted God. <laughs> I know that's keywords. Y'all hear these keywords and you're all like, okay, yeah, yeah. Think about it, meditate on it. If God's all loving, what's He doing stomping out 200 million people in the Battle of Armageddon? If, God, if God's all loving, what's He doing drowning people at Noah's flood? That's your God doing that. God is, God is love, and you find that love at the cross of Calvary. But He's more than anything, God above all else is a God of holiness and a God of judgment. And we just saw that last Sunday where he had people come before him. He opens up the books. He says, okay, read me everything they've done wrong. Now I'm going to judge them and throw them into hell. That's a God of all love. He's so all loving, he's a God of judgment. God is all loving and all forgiving. But the challenge of being human and having this gift of life is to love others with compassion despite their differences. That's not my challenge. <laughs> that might be your challenge. That's not my challenge. That's the challenge is... Uh, being human is having this gift of life is to love others with compassion despite their differences. These are all key words of humanism. I'm supposed to love my neighbor. I'm supposed to love my enemies. But I'm supposed to tell the truth if it offends you or not. Man, some of y'all getting quiet in here. Did one of y'all write this? I'm messing with y'all. Wars will never stop unless we hold our brothers and sisters across the globe with love and compassion. Wars are not going to stop until Jesus Christ comes back. Amen. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, peace, peace. They'll cry, peace, peace, but there'll be no peace. It don't matter how much I love you or hold you and kiss you and call you George. The wars are going to be wars. And Jesus said, in the end times, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. Loving and hugging and kissing and blowing a butterfly kisses at people is not going to stop war. Amen. 
Not salivating at the thought of more war. There's nobody in this room salivating at the thought of war. What I'm salivating at is the thought of Jesus Christ coming back. That's what I want, Jesus Christ to come back. Your booklets distributed in nearby cities are shockingly disappointing. <laughs> They're shockingly disappointing. See, that just makes my day to hear that I've shockingly disappointed somebody. <laughs> Especially somebody who writes trash like this. I will pray that you and all you've misled, ooh, Mufasa. I will pray that you and all you've misled through the years, and I've misled a lot of them, <laughs> will find the truth through our Savior. Doesn't say Jesus Christ. See what you notice, and see, you've got to pick this stuff up, brothers and sisters. What I've noticed through the years is I, I, I'll read through this stuff and I'll notice that they forget to mention Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus Christ. There's something about that name. You just listen. Turn on those TV evangelists and t they'll talk about, they'll say God and they'll say pray. And but it, no, listen, you'll be amazed how many times they don't say the name of Jesus Christ. They never say it. I will pray with you and all that you misled through the years. Find truth through our Savior. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. <laughs> and he quotes Jesus Christ. That's trash. All right. Revelation chapter 21. I just thought I'd pass that along to y'all and get a good laugh. I'm not changing the thing I do. And I hope y'all don't either. And you know, you know when you're hit, you know you've kicked the right dog when it starts yelping. You know you've kicked the right dog when it starts yelping. I get two, that's the first time I've ever gotten a letter about Zionism. I've gotten plenty of emails about homosexuality. Usually when I preach against homosexuality, and I don't do a whole lot, I do kick it when I get a chance, because it's sin, just like lying and cheating and uh, stealing is a sin, it's a sin, but usually when I, I preach against it, I get an email. I usually get an email about that, and if I get another email, I'll read that one up here too, and we'll have another good laugh. But it's not going to change. You know why I'm not going to change? Because this book doesn't change. This book's not going to change. I'm not going to change. When this book, when God changes, I'll change. But God says, I change not. God's not going to change. His, his, he thinks the same way. He thinks about this stuff the same way he thought 6,000 years ago. Now that I've given you all this negative message, let's get into the good stuff. What do you say? Revelation 21. Hey, man, let's get into the good stuff. Let's talk about heaven. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Amen. Brother Joker, do you mind praying and blessing this service, please? Thank you, brother.
Yes. Amen, amen. So let's go back up to verse 1. This verse is here, verses 1 through 5. is talking about that new Jerusalem. What we, when you think about heaven, this is heaven. This is heaven, and this is heaven come down on the earth. We've had the great white throne judgment. We've had heaven and earth pass away. We've had the sinners judged and be cast into a lake of fire. Now, when all that's done, God says in verse 1, there'll be a new heavens. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. He creates a new heaven, a new earth that hasn't been defiled by sin. That hasn't been defiled by the devil. The devil has had access in heaven. Devil, devil's had access here on earth. And now that's all been cleansed. There's a new heaven. There's a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth are passed away. And there was no more sea. See that sea that you see when you look on a globe. I've got a globe back here I think. When you look on a globe, on this globe right here, what you're seeing and all this blue on this globe is the sea. And what you're seeing, that should speak to you one thing, God's judgment on, on mankind. Because what you see with this sea here is after the flood. What you're looking at is an a earth that's been flooded, that's been destroyed by judgment. And that sea, that salt water, was always associated with sacrifice to God and God's judgment during sacrifice. And when you see water that's so salty you can't drink it, that's God's judgment. And here it says there'll be no more sea. There's no more judgment. The judgment's passed. That, that no more sea really speaks to no more judgment. Look at verse 2. And I, John, and this is John who wrote the Gospel of John as he's writing. He's seeing this. And he's writing it down. He says, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I'll be preaching on that in a couple of Sundays where the new Jerusalem comes down and John's going to describe the beauty of it. It's amazing, this new Jerusalem. This big new Jerusalem just comes floating down out of heaven. But there's three things you need to know about this new Jerusalem. There's a new heavens, there's a new earth, and there's a new Jerusalem. Three new things, a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. There's three things you need to know in verse 2 about this new Jerusalem. And I, John, saw the holy city. It's a holy city. This new Jerusalem, this heaven is a holy city. There's no sin allowed. As a matter of fact, there probably is going to be a sign in there that says, No sin allowed. There'll be no sin in this city. It's a holy city. And I just talked about that. This God that we know of is a God of love. This God that loves. He also is a God of judgment. He's also a God of holiness. When John was first raptured up into heaven and he's seen God's throne and he's seen the, the, uh, the cherubim around God's throne, do you remember what they were chanting? The Bible says they were, they were chanting, they were saying day and night. What were they saying day and night? They weren't saying love, love, love. No, that's not what they were saying. They were saying holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. You've got a God of holiness and this city comes down and it's a city of holiness. If you look at the modern day Jerusalem, it's not a city of holiness. Obviously. Amen? But we're still supposed to pray for the city of Jerusalem. But it's not a city of holiness. 
It's a city of sin. As a matter of fact, earlier on in this book, in Revelation chapter 11, the Bible describes Jerusalem as the city of, it says it's Sodom and Egypt. That's a, lot, that's a lot of sin being put on one city before this new Jerusalem comes back. This new Jerusalem is going to be the opposite of the modern-day Jerusalem. It's going to be a Jerusalem of a, a holy city. The second thing you need to see there, I saw John. I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Look at the second thing, coming down from God out of heaven. The second thing you need to know about the New Jerusalem, it's a heavenly-made city. It's a heavenly-made city. It comes down out of heaven. Paul said that Abraham was looking for a city that was made without hands. Paul said Abraham was looking for a city made without hands. That's what everybody in this room is looking for. We're looking for that city that's not made with man's hands. It's, we're looking for the city that's made with God's hand. We're looking for a city that's made with God's hand, not made with man's hands. And this is a city that's made with God's hand. Man, how quick are we to forget what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ told us? Remember what Jesus Christ told us in John chapter 14? He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. You remember that? In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. What's Jesus doing right now? He's preparing that new Jerusalem. He's preparing some mansions. What does a mansion speak of? A mansion speaks of big family, plenty of room. You know, I've heard uh, people talk about, I wish I had a mansion, I wish I had this bigger house. And I go by and I see some of these houses that are out here, out, you know, there's some really, really nice houses out here. Some, uh, there's a lot of money out here. And I see these bigger old houses, and me and my wife get to talking about it, and we're like, man, that's a lot of cleaning you have to do. It's a lot of mopping you have to do. A lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of sweeping you have to do a big old I might not want a big old mansion down here if I get to thinking about it. That's a whole lot of taxes you have to pay. But up in heaven, there'll be no more taxes. God's going to give you a mansion you don't have to worry about. And that mansion speaks to family. Amen? My wife and I don't need a mansion now here on this earth. Our kids aren't at home. Man, I'm afraid if we had a mansion, they would come home. <laughs> We don't have nowhere for you to stay. You got to stay at your house. You keep on paying rent, you know. The truth is, is that the mansion speaks to family. This is a holy city that's prepared by God, coming down from God out of heaven. Second, the third thing you need to know is a city prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's a beautiful city. It's a holy city. It's a heavenly made city. It's a beautiful city. It's a bride adorned for her husband. A bride adorned for her husband. There's no time a, 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 a woman tries to look more beautiful than when she's a bride being adorned for her husband. She'll put on the most expensive, she'll put on a thousand, multi, multi thousand dollar dress for one day just to be a beautiful bride on that wedding day. This is a city, brothers and sisters, we can't even imagine what it's going to look like. It's going to be beautiful. Maybe you had not put a lot of thought into it. You can't think about how beautiful this city is going to be. It's a beautiful city. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said that, it, that I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Paul, when he was raptured up into the third heaven, he said, I've seen things I can't even talk about. I can't even describe. This is going to be a heavenly city. It's going to be a heavenly city made by God, but it's going to be a beautiful city. 
It's going to be something we can never even imagine. We can't even comprehend how beautiful this city is as it comes down and God has prepared it for me and you. As Bible believers, as believers in Jesus Christ, I can't wait. Look at verse 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Tabernacle is a place you dwell. What, what he's saying there is, the, what, what the, the, the proclamation there in verse 3 is, is that God is dwelling with man. That's what Jesus is. Jesus is God tabernacled in flesh. Jesus Christ is literally God living in flesh. God manifest in the flesh. So there it is where you say there, it says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. That's Jesus Christ with men. That's God with men. And He will dwell with them. God's going to live with us and we're going to live with God. God's going to be your next door neighbor. You got bad neighbors now? You're going to have a good neighbor up in heaven. God's going to be your next door neighbor. And they shall be his people. This is one of my, this, this is beautiful here. And they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. You know, we were singing, Jesus, what a friend of sinners. One of my favorite hymns. And I appreciate y'all singing loud. And I, I just love glorifying Jesus Christ for that song. But one of my favorite parts of that, that hymn is at the end of that hymn it says, He is mine and I'm his. There's something about that that just really strikes me. Man, he belongs to me and I belong to him. It's like a marriage. Amen? A bride adorned for her husband. That ring says, I belong to somebody. And when she has that ring on, that tells somebody else, she belongs to somebody. I belong to her and she belongs to me. And God's saying, hey, put on this wedding ring. Put on this wedding dress. You belong to me. I own you. I, I'm yours and you're mine. All that I have is yours and all that you have is mine. What a beautiful thing to think that the God of the universe says, I want to belong to you. And I want you to belong to me. I want us to be together. I want us to be in fellowship. And that's what he's saying there at the end of verse 3. And they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. Look at verse 4. This is what you won't find in heaven. Verse 4 is what you will not find in heaven. Let's start it out in verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. You won't find any tears up in heaven. Notice that this is way off into the end of Revelation before it says there'll be no more tears in heaven. I really believe and it implies and I really believe that it's trying to say that when we get to, and I believe this will happen, that when, we, when us Christians get to the judgment seat of Christ and stand before Jesus Christ and knowing that all He done for us the eternal life He's given us, this mansion that we have, this wonderful place of New Jerusalem, the holiness, the purity, the eternal life Jesus Christ given us, and when we stand before Him, and He starts looking at what we haven't done for Him. All the times we denied Him. All the times we were ashamed of Him. All the times that we wouldn't speak up for Him. And how ashamed are we going to be? How many tears are going to be shed at the judgment seat of Christ? A whole lot. 
And I preached last Sunday about the great white throne judgment where lost man and woman are brought before God and judged for their sins. And I talked about how we're going to be there with Jesus Christ. As th that they're being judged. And what will that feel like when we see one of our loved ones walked across that stage and judged for their sins, knowing that we had witnessed to them, knowing that we had invited them to church, knowing that we had told them about Jesus Christ, and to see them judged for their sins and to cast into a devil's hell. You don't think there won't be tears there? There'll be some tears there. And God, through his infinite love and wisdom, is going to give us the mind of Christ to where we can understand those things and accept those things as we see that happening. And God himself shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. See, that when you read that, that's like God's coming up with a, with a Kleenex or a handkerchief and, and wiping away the tears. Say, don't, don't cry anymore. It's okay. I can't wait for a place where there's no tears. I've shed a lot of tears on this earth. I know a lot of y'all have shed, everybody in this room shed tears on this earth. I can't wait for a time that we'll have to worry about shedding tears. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. The second thing you won't find up in heaven is, and there shall be no more death. Praise God. Most of the tears I've shed has been over death. Had a lot of people I love die. And, it, and I'm here to tell you as a Christian, I don't cry that they're going away and I'll never see them again. It isn't, it isn't tears of despair. It's tears of separation. It's tears of, I'm gonna, it's going to be a long time before I get to see you again. It's going to be a long time and I don't want you going away and I'm brokenhearted because I'm not going to get to see you for a while. Those tears are going to be wiped away. There'll be no more death, brothers and sisters. There'll be no more separation from the ones we love. Man, that's, that's the worst part of death. It's, as a Christian, we know where they're at. We know they're with Jesus Christ, but we're not with them right now. That's when it hits home, when somebody passes away. It hits home when you, you get a week and two weeks and three weeks later. When you're, and, and I don't know, I can only speak for myself, but a month later and you're driving down the road and you're like, oh, I need to call so-and-so. I can't call them. They've gone away. And it kind of hits home that there's no communication, that there's separation, that you, you can't talk to the loved one. That'll be no more up in heaven. There'll be no more separation. There'll be no more death. Death is your greatest enemy. And he got took care of by Jesus Christ. And we got took care of in Revelation chapter 20. says, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. That's when death is took care of. Everybody in this room is scared of death. Nobody's looking forward to dying. Nobody's looking forward to death. And up in heaven, there'll be no more death. You know, you think about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ would have been the, the worst Baptist minister you ever met. And I'll tell you why. Jesus Christ never preached a funeral. Jesus Christ never preached a funeral. You ever read about Jesus Christ? He's walking along. Here comes a funeral going right around him, right in front of him. And what's going on here? My son's dead. Oh, really? Okay, come on up. Get up out of here. Get out. You're not dead anymore. Come on up here. People are cheering. He never preached the funeral. Nobody can stay dead around Jesus Christ. I really believe that when Jesus Christ was laying in that tomb and he resurrected, the Bible says that there were some of the saints came up with him. You know those saints that came up with him? Those that were in the general direction right there. Because if you're around Jesus Christ, you can't stay dead. He raised them up. Man, that's a...
good, uh, good indication of what you got coming. You got no more death. No more death. No more sorrow. Greatest enemy we have is death and it's gone. Neither sorrow. Third thing you won't find up in heaven is sorrow. No more sorrow. No more disappointments. No more depression. You know, I don't know if it's because I'm a, such a wicked sinner. I, I, don't, I, I can, I can kind of understand why, but uh, I deal with depression. I deal with just getting, sometimes I just get down, and I can't explain it. I can just wake up some morning and just like, mm, just be down in the mouth. Just, he said, what's wrong? Nothing. I, I, I can't explain it. I tell my wife, I, I, you know, nothing, nothing's wrong. I mean, I can't explain, like, I can't put my finger on it. I just, I just, I just kind of sad. And sometimes it gets around Christmas time, you get to missing your loved ones, and you get to thinking about old times, and I kind of get sad a little bit. I get, I get, because we've been separated from our loved ones, and the ones we love, are, they're not here for Christmas. They're not here for Thanksgiving. And sometimes it, you can be kind of sad. You can so, no more sorrow. <laughs> there'll be no more sorrow in heaven. There'll, nothing, there'll be nothing to cry about, nothing to be sad about. There'll be no more death. The fourth thing it will be no more is no more crying, neither sorrow nor crying. You know, uh, I've seen a whole lot more tears shed over emotional pain than over physical pain. I've seen a whole lot more tears shed over emotional pain than physical pain. What you have going on here is no more crying, that emotional pain. And I think back and think, why, why is there emotional pain? What? Because there's, in my life, it's been there's a separation. See this theme of what I'm getting at here, and, and it kind of hit home when I was reading this and meditating. On, there'll be no more crying, no more death. There, what, what's causing all this? What's what, what's the, the main thing is the separation, the separate, the emotional pain from the separation, the emotional pain from what just living this life, the sorrow of just living this life, and uh, all the just. Man, sometimes I just try to get away from the internet. Uh, get away from watching the news and seeing all the sadness. and Get away from that because it just brings you down. And then it just, and we come up here on Wednesdays and we're just, it's just always something going on. It's, always just, it's like, man, I'm waiting. I can't wait for the day where there'll be no more prayer lists. I can't wait for the day where there'll be one. We, how we need to be praying for so-and-so. We need to be praying for so-and-so. We don't need to pray for them. Everything's okay. All the time. No more sorrow, no more crying, no more death. Neither shall there be any more pain. Man, that's the best part of all that. No more sorrow, no more death, no more, no more pain, no more headaches, no more backaches, no more sore feet, no more cancer, no more COVID, no more diseases, no more flu, no more cold. Ultimate physical healing, ultimate emotional healing. Boy, that's heaven. <laughs> I can't wait. Because he says, therefore, the former things, the former things are passed away. See, all that's going to be in the past. All those former things are going to be in the past, and we're not even going to remember them. We're going to come a time we're not going to be able to remember. Who's going to care? Who's going to care 10,000 years into eternity? Who's going to care who won the Super Bowl? Who won the World Series? There was a lot of young men that were disappointed Friday night when they lost their football game. 
Who's going to care who won the state championship in 2023? 10,000 years into heaven. The former things are passed away. You get where this is going? You know, there was a time that I, was, I had a degree at Harvard. What's Harvard? Yes, I had a degree. What, kind of, what do you mean? Yeah, I was educated as a doctor up in heaven. What's a doctor? There was a time I was a billionaire. What's a billionaire mean? You should have seen all the gold I own. Oh, the gold that we're walking around on. <laughs> you get where this is going? Those things that we care so much for right now are not going to matter anymore. And we put so much importance on them. All those things, those former things are passed away. All our former sins are long gone. See, I don't think some of y'all in here have really grasped what it's going to mean being up in heaven. No more sin. You know what causes the death? The wages of sin is death. It's sin in us that causes us to die. There'll be no more sin. You won't have to wake up and worry about what you're thinking. Worry about what you're doing. Because no matter what you do or what you think, it's going to be sinless. That's heaven. That's heaven. No more sin. No more worrying. No more fretting over. No more fighting this flesh. No more worrying about living that crucified life. That, that life of sorrow. That life of crucifixion. That life of I must, must keep my flesh down. There's going to come a time where you're just going to live. And life's going to be so wonderful and eternal, you won't have to worry about things. Man, I can't wait. Verse 5, the Lord says, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. I like that. You know why I like that? Because he didn't say, I make new things. He said, I make all things new. We're going to become new again. This body, this soul, everything's new. It's going to be like we're brand new. I make all things new. And he said unto me, write, for these words are hard to understand and can't hardly believe them. No, it's true and faithful. There's nothing that I've read in these first five verses that anybody in third grade couldn't understand. No death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain. That's heaven. If you want heaven, that's Jesus Christ. All those things are passed away. Look at verse 6. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega. That's the first Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. That's Jesus Christ. He's the beginning, he's the end. It's all about Jesus Christ. Look what he says, though. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Amen. Maybe you're sitting in here and you've heard all these wonderful things about heaven. It's almost unimaginable how beautiful the city's going to be. We couldn't imagine it. No more sorrow, no more death, no more crying, no more pain. You're hearing all that and you're like, how can I have that? That's impossible. Maybe you're thirsty for that. He says, and I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. I love that word free because I can't afford it. Can you imagine if God was to charge a man for heaven? 
Can you imagine on this earth, if you were to say, hey, I'm going to make this H.O. where you'll have the most beautiful neighbors. You're going to live in this house. It's going to be a mansion. We'll take care of everything. We're going to make sure you have all the doctors. We'll have to make sure. Just think about it. If they, can make, if they can make heaven on earth and they can't, how much would that cost a man or a woman? And Jesus Christ says, I'll give it to you freely. Just come on down. That's what we were singing about this morning. Grace, grace, God's grace. That's unbelievable giving of God that you don't deserve. And nobody in this room does it. Nobody on the earth deserves that kind of... And he says, I'll give it to you freely. Wow, that's a... That's a underline that. Verse 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But... The worst word in the English language, but, here's the stickler, the fearful. Are you afraid to take Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? Are you afraid of what people will say about you if you get saved? Are you afraid of what your friends might make fun of you and mock you about? The fearful, unbelieving, are you just having a hard time believing that Jesus Christ had died for your sins? Are you having a hard time believing that he was buried on the third day, he rose again and was resurrected? The unbelieving, the fearful, the unbelieving, and the abominable. That's all the sins combined, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers. Sorcerers would be people who are using drugs. And idolaters, worshiping false idols. And all liars shall have their part in the lake, of, lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So there's always... There's always an other side of a coin. There's always a flip side of the coin. There's the good side, there's heaven, but on the other side, on the outside, is a devil's hell. I want to close this morning there in verse 7, and then we're going to turn to 1 John. Look at verse 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I'll be his God. He shall be my son. I remember as a young Christian, I was reading through these verses, and I came across that where it said, He that overcometh, and I stopped dead in my tracks. And I thought, man, I, I can't say I've overcome. I don't know what that overcome means, but I can say it when it comes to sin, when it comes to sin, Kigan hasn't overcome sin. And I'm in trouble because I haven't overcome. And I'm here, I'm here to tell you, speaking honestly, from my heart, it bothered me. Because I believe every word in this book. I believe when Jesus Christ says freely, I believe it's free. But when I come up there to get that free, and he says, well, have you overcome? No, Lord, I haven't overcome. But then I'd say, Lord, well, if it's free, then I shouldn't have to overcome. <laughs> right? If you're giving something to me for free, then I shouldn't have to pay for it. Then it's not free. Right? Man, if I show up at your house with a brand new four-wheel Chevy truck, brand new, pulled up there and said, here it is, here's the keys. God bless you. Man, y'all would burn the phones up calling how great a pastor you have. Amen? Like, I have the best pastor in the world. He just came by and gave me a brand new truck. Praise God. I mean, the church would be full thinking I'll get one too. Right? 
What would you think if you, a month later from the Chevrolet house you get in a payment book? <laughs> had your name on it. I'd be the worst pastor you ever met, right? <laughs> That's how people think of God. He shows up and gives you this great gift, and then later on you're going to have to pay for it. That's not grace, brothers and sisters. That's not grace. That's not overcoming. How do I overcome? The Bible tells you how you overcome. Turn to 1 John chapter 5, and we'll close. 1 John chapter 5, the Bible tells you who's overcome. 1 John chapter 5. Because I want to be an overcomer. Turn to 1 John chapter 5, in closing. Verse 4. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. You put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're born again, you're going to overcome the world. Look at verse 5. Who is he that overcometh the world? Who is it? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? I know I have. I'm an overcomer. And Jesus Christ says, if you don't know about heaven, you don't, you're thirsty for heaven, you're thirsty for all these things that I was reading about, he said, come unto me, and I'll freely give you eternal life. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3 verse 16. And most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now it's an amazing verse of course talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But Verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it and if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. Same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. 
It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13, he sums it up, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him.